Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. and I and our children had the opportunity to visit a full-size tabernacle model in Arkansas, and I've never forgotten it. I'd studied the tabernacle in my Bible schooling, but there was just something special about seeing an, an example of one set up in person. And so many things hit me as I walked around the tabernacle and in it. I saw so many things that pointed to the Lord and His sacrifice for our sins. And I'd encourage you that if you ever get the opportunity to visit a full-size tabernacle to do that. The tabernacle pictures Christ and the cross in so many ways. And we're going to be looking at some of these things in this episode of Transformed by Grace. Exodus chapter 25 verses 8 and 9 read, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. The tabernacle was a tent that Israel erected so that God would have a dwelling place among man, and specifically the Israelites. Just in that you find a portrait of Christ, because he came to the earth to, to dwell among man, and specifically the nation of Israel. John 1.14 reads, And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The us, in the dwelt among us, is the nation of Israel. When the tabernacle was completed in the days of Moses, the glory of the Lord filled the entire structure. Exodus forty thirty-three and 34 reads, So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And that also pictured the incarnation of Christ at his first coming. When Christ came from heaven and took on flesh, the glorious presence of deity filled him. He was fully God and fully man. And the tabernacle pictured that. In the earthly tabernacle of Christ's human body, divine majesty and the glory of God filled him while veiled in flesh, as John 1.14 said, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And so the tabernacle as a tent with the glory of God filling it is a picture of Christ and his incarnation. The tabernacle was a trinity, and thus it pictures the trinity of the Godhead, three in one. The tabernacle consisted of three parts, the outer court, the holy place, in the Holy of Holies. The outer court and the holy place each had three things in them. The Holy of Holies had one thing, but in that one thing there were three things contained in it. The outer court measured approximately 150 feet long by 75 feet wide. The outer court contained three things, the laver, the brazen altar, and then the center of the outer court was an enclosure. 
The enclosure had two compartments. This entire enclosure measured 45 feet by 15 feet, and its height was 15 feet. The first compartment, the holy place, was 30 feet by 15 feet. It contained three pieces, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the golden lampstand. The Holy of Holies was a perfect cube, 15 feet high, 15 feet long, 15 feet wide, a trinity of perfect measurements. The Holy of Holies contained the Ark of the Covenant. Contained in the Ark of the Covenant were three things, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. The New Jerusalem will also be a perfect cube when it descends to the earth one day at the beginning of the eternal state. And it too will be the dwelling place of God on the earth, except that city will be quite a bit bigger. 1,400 miles high, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide. The description of the tabernacle in Exodus 25 begins with the Ark of the Covenant. Now that dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And then it goes to the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and then into the tabernacle as a whole. The way the tabernacle is described, in the order it's described, demonstrates God's approach to man, not man approaching God. For us to be saved from our sins, it must be by God initiating and providing the way to himself in grace, mercy, and love. We cannot attain unto God's righteous standard or approach him in our sinfulness. We must come to God on his terms, not ours. The way the tabernacle is described, beginning in the Holy of Holies, speaks of God's approach, God initiating the provision of salvation. And it also pictures Christ coming from the presence of God in heaven to provide the way for mankind to be saved from our sins by His shed blood. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, and He came to provide the way by which we can approach God the Father and be able to dwell in His presence. Exodus chapter 27 and verse 16 reads, And for the gate of the court shall be in a hanging of twenty cubits of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen, wrought with needlework, and their pillars shall be four, and their sockets four. One thing that really struck me when I visited the full-size model of the tabernacle was that as I walked around it, it really struck me that there was only one way to get in. And as I stood at the entrance to go in, I immediately felt the weight of that truth, that there is only one way to God. The entrance into the outer court of the tabernacle pictures Christ. Christ is the door. The Lord told Israel in John 10:9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And in John 14, 6, the familiar verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And these verses came to mind as I stood looking at the entrance of the tabernacle. Christ is the one way, the only way to God, that no man goes to the Father but by him. Exodus 27, verses 1 and 2 read, 
And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long and five cubits abroad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. The things that hit me in the heart as I stood at the entrance of the tabernacle was first, noting that there is only one way into the tabernacle, which pictured Christ, but also that there was this large brazen altar standing right there at the entrance. And immediately I knew that this was teaching, that there is no approaching the presence of God and the Holy of Holies beyond without first having your sins dealt with. The layout of the tabernacle teaches about mankind's approach to God. Man could not and did not directly approach God by immediately coming to the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. There were two extremes in the tabernacle. The Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies and the altar of sacrifice at the entrance of the outer court. God met man first at the altar of sacrifice in the outer court. Because of God's justice and His holiness, no sinner could be admitted directly into His presence. There first had to be a sacrifice for sin. The brazen altar is where the sacrifices for, for sin were made by the shedding of blood and by fire. The altar of sacrifice stood at the entrance of man's approach to God. Man had no access to God except by the shed blood of an acceptable sacrifice for sin. In that blood-stained, fiery altar where the blood sacrifices were offered was just within the entrance of the outer court. It was unavoidable and it's unmistakable as I learned seeing one in that tabernacle model. It was the first piece of furniture the sinner encountered. And that altar pictures Christ and it pictures His cross. Like the brazen altar, the cross is where God meets with man for the payment of our sin debt. For there to be any approach to Him, sin must first be paid for, a substitute must be sacrificed, an offering must be made for sin. The altar was the place of substitutionary sacrifices. It was the place of death. At the altar, the blood was poured out, and the body of the sacrifice was consumed by fire. The altar stood at the entrance because that was the door to fellowship with God. No approach to God was possible except by the shedding of blood. As Hebrews 9.22 teaches, without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The tabernacle layout teaches that the approach to God comes through the shed blood of an acceptable sacrifice for sin. And that, of course, pictures Christ and His precious shed blood and His perfect sacrifice for sin. All those lambs slain on that bronze altar foreshadowed the death of the Lamb of God on the cross. And He faced the fire of God's wrath against our sins at the cross. And He shed His blood and gave Himself fully and willingly as a sacrifice for sin. By Christ's perfect payment for sin at the cross, we are then able to approach God 
and to dwell in His presence forever and ever. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Bible Contrasts is a 28-page booklet written by Pastor David Adams. We see a number of dissimilar wordings within God's Word. Some have seen them as contradictions in the Bible. We prefer the term contrasts. The main reason for these differences is that God is setting forth two separate programs. The first deals with the earth and Israel. The other concerns the heavens and the church, the body of Christ. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. Or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. The bronze altar also had four horns, one on each corner. Scripture often talks about the four quarters of the earth, or the four corners of the earth. As these were four horns pointing in four directions, this was a visual that all were invited to approach God under the law by bringing a sacrifice to the altar. And as the altar pictures the cross, it reminds us of John the Baptist's prophecy, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Salvation was available to everyone, to the world under Israel's program, and it's available to all by the cross. And today, under grace, we learn through the Apostle Paul that Christ gave himself a ransom for all, and God's salvation is available to all by grace, through faith in Christ, just trusting that he died for your sins and was buried and rose again the third day. And as ambassadors for Christ, we, the body of Christ, are called to take the gospel of the grace of God to the four quarters of the the world. Theodore Epp wrote this, As you think of the gospel extending in all directions, have you ever considered the fact that the gospel is the good news and that the word news contains the letters of all four directions, north, east, west, and south. We must not restrict the gospel to any area, but must take it in every direction to a world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the horns on the altar also provided a place that a person fled to and clung to when they were in fear for their life. When Adonijah feared that Solomon would kill him, 1 Kings 1.50 says, And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. Joab, the great general, later did the exact same thing. 
The altar was a place for a person to run to in order to obtain mercy. And it's the same with the cross. The cross of Christ is a place to run to and cling to so that we will be spared eternal death and hell by the mercy of God. Exodus 30, verses 17 through 18 read, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. In the outer court, between the brazen altar and the enclosure of the holy place and holy of holies, was the bronze laver. It was necessary that one be ceremonially cleansed so that the Levites could serve as priests. The bronze laver was where the priests would wash and cleanse themselves, especially after having offered those blood sacrifices. No priest could enter the holy place until his hands and feet were cleansed. If a priest tried, he'd be struck dead. So the laver was provided so that he would not be struck dead. The laver continues uh, to show though, the need for cleansing, the need for purifying as God has approached. God and His holiness cannot have the filth of sin in His presence. We must be righteous and pure and cleansed in order to dwell in His presence. The altar was for the shedding of blood. The laver was for the cleansing with water. Blood and water reminds us of Christ's death at the cross. John nineteen thirty three to 34 But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. As blood and water were necessary for acceptance with God under the Old Covenant, so blood and water were also a part of the establishment of the new covenant at the cross. Stepping inside the holy place, which was the first section of the enclosure in the outer court, to the right would have been the table of showbread. Straight ahead, the altar of incense. To your left, the golden candlestick. All three of these pieces of furniture, they speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. The table of showbread, Pictures Christ, who is the bread of life. As the Lord said in John six thirty three and 35, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. He is the bread of life who has life in himself and who gives his life to others. He is the bread that provides eternal life. And only through the bread of life do we find spiritual and eternal life. We cannot live physically in this life without bread. And we cannot live spiritually without the bread of life. He is the bread of life, the giver of eternal life. And from him we receive spiritual nourishment as well. The table of showbread was made from acacia wood and was overlaid with pure gold. The combination of these two remind us that 
Christ, the bread of life, was both God and man. The wood speaks to his humility and his humanity, the gold to his glory and his deity. The bread on the table was unleavened bread. Leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. Being unleavened reminds us of there being no sin in God's presence and also the sinlessness of Christ, the bread of life. The altar of incense occupied the central position in the holy place, immediately in front of the veil before the Holy of Holies. It, too, was made from acacia wood and was overlaid with pure gold, again reminding us that Jesus Christ is both God and man. The brazen altar, located just inside the entrance, speaks of Christ who died on the cross as the all-sufficient payment for sin. The golden altar of incense located in the middle of the holy place near the veil speaks of the risen Christ who lives to intercede for his own. Hebrews 7.25 teaches Israel, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And Romans 8.34 teaches us the body of Christ. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The altar of incense was a representation of Christ, the intercessor before God the Father, the God-man, the intercessor between God and man. Israel was taught that the altar was for the purpose of burning a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations, Exodus 30, verse 8 says. The incense was a perpetual sweet fragrance that was well-pleasing to God. Thus, the intercession of Christ for His own is a demonstration that God is always, perpetually, well-pleased with us in Christ. The altar of incense had horns on it, just like the brazen altar in four different directions. Horns in Scripture also speak of power and authority. And so by the power and authority of the living Christ, He lives to make intercession for God's people perpetually. The third element in the Holy of Holies was the golden candlestick, which foreshadowed Christ, who is the light of the world. The golden candlestick was the only light in the enclosure of the holy place. There was no natural light in there. And this pictures Christ who is the only light. The only one who reveals and illumines the way to God. He is not a light or another light among many lights. He is the light. The only light. The only way for the whole world. John 1.9 says of the Lord that He was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. God's salvation, as it's been always under prophecy and as it's been under grace, is available to all by coming to God in God's way. And Christ is the light of the world. There was a veil that separated the holy place 
from the Holy of Holies in the dwelling place of God with cherubim on the veil. The cherubim guarded God's holiness and in effect were on that veil to say, stay out. The veil was a barrier to the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement could go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and he did not go without blood. As once in there, he sprinkled blood on behalf of the nation for their sins on the mercy seat. Within the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, which typified Christ. The Ark was made of acacia wood, overlaid with gold, reminding us that Christ is both God and man. Within the Ark of the Covenant was the unbroken tablets of stone of the Ten Commandments. And that speaks to the perfection of Christ and of God's righteous standard being within him. He perfectly kept the law, never broke them, and he was without sin. Within the ark also was a golden pot of manna. This was a sign which speaks of Christ as being the bread of life, uh, the bread of God, having the life of God within him. But by the manna, God sustained the lives of the Israelites in the wilderness and faithfully cared for his own. And so that manna reminds us that Christ sustains our lives spiritually and eternally, and it teaches that he is faithful, always faithful. Then there was Aaron's rod that budded, a dead stick that supernaturally came to life again teaches us that Christ is the resurrection and the life. The golden poles by which the Ark of the Covenant was carried speaks to the ever-living, ever-present God who is with us wherever we go, who will never leave us or forsake us. When the people of Israel set up the tabernacle, it was always positioned in the center of the camp of the twelve tribes of Israel, with them facing it. And this was a picture for Israel that God was always to be at the center of their lives. And as we know that the tabernacle tabernacle pictures Christ, the principle is that God wants Christ to be at the very center of our lives. And when you look at the layout of the tabernacle, you can make a straight line from the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant at the top, to the laver of water, and then to the brazen altar at the bottom. Then you can make a horizontal line across the veil, and where the furniture of the golden candlestick, the altar of the incense, and the table of showbread stood. And in that, you have the shape of a cross in the tabernacle. And at the bottom of the cross in the tabernacle, was where the brazen altar stood and where the blood was shed and where the blood dripped down just as the precious blood of Christ did at the cross when he purchased our redemption. When you look at the cross in prophecy, you definitely see the cross in the tabernacle. Thank you for watching this episode of Transformed by Grace.
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.